Hello, I'm Bruce Tolgan, author of The Art of Being Indispensable at Work, just published by Harvard Business Review Press. And this is The Indispensables, a podcast featuring conversations with real go-to people who stand the test of time in the real world of work. What makes them tick? In this episode, I'm speaking with Anne Warren, uh, my friend and client who is Chief Human Resources Officer for MKC, a longtime client of ours, one of the largest agricultural co-ops in the United States. I am so glad to welcome today Anne Anderton Warren from MKC. Uh, I'm going to read her bio so I get it right. Uh, Anne Anderton Warren serves as Executive Vice President and Chief Human Resources Officer for MKC and its subsidiaries. Uh, she is uh, doing important work protecting America's food supply. Prior to working at MKC, she worked both nationally and internationally in HR leadership roles. And welcome to the Indispensables. Thank you, Bruce. I'm very happy to be here. Well, I'm so, uh, so glad you're here. Uh, I know from my work with MKC that you all uh, do very important work uh, in, in the farming industry and in helping uh, maintain America's food supply chain. Uh, it's something a lot of people uh, don't even realize how much work is involved in keeping our food supply uh, safe and steady. Uh, so, uh, so I'm so glad for the work you're doing and uh, so glad to have you here. Happy to be here. Thank you. You are, by all accounts, a classic go-to person, one of those indispensables, somebody that uh, everybody in your organization mentions when asked, who are your go-to people? But let, me, let me turn the question around. How about you? Who, who are your go-to people? And what makes somebody a go-to person in, in your eyes? Well, I feel really lucky. We have a lot of go-to people at MKC. I would say for the most part, people who are trustworthy, who get things done and follow through on items and are very reliable are, are my go-to people. It helps too to be friendly and to be interested in others. Certainly to be approachable and a good communicator is a must. And, you know, sometimes people talk about the, uh, uh, you know, who are your go-to people and maybe they expect it's, it's going to be somebody who's the expert, the one who has the, the technical knowledge to do the task. Uh, it's going to be the person who is going to steamroll his or her way through uh, to make sure and make things happen, or it's going to be the person who never says no. But the first thing you said was trust. Well, I think having a relationship with someone and being able to trust them is really certainly a key. You know, I think a lot of times people who are go-to people are good listeners. And that's not to say that they're like the office gossip or they're getting into people's personal business, but they listen to all different points of view and they uh, help others come to best decisions. So I look for people like that a lot of times, generally very positive people too. When you think about, you know, the people in the organization, some have authority, right? They can make things happen uh, because they uh, have position power they can use the rules, they can use control over rewards. Mm -hmm. uh, but so many people have to get things done without official authority. So they have to use influence. When you think of people who have influence, 
what makes other people want to do things for someone? Absolutely. I think that a good influencer is visionary and they're able to articulate that vision and get others on board with it. So everyone understands what the vision is, what their role is in getting there and can all kind of row the same direction, so to speak. Uh, and that influencer doesn't just tell you that vision once, they're telling it to you very frequently on a regular basis and recognizing people along the way. Do they kind of infect people with their vision almost? Yes, and they're very enthusiastic generally. Sometimes people think of influence as like um, influence peddling, convincing somebody to do things your way. I tend to think of it more as being the kind of person that other people want to do things for. Where do you think that comes from? How do you build that? Well, I think it starts with trust and you build on the trust with your relationship and that in turn can create innovation and empowering others. And you can use those to influence others. I think it's important to explain the why a lot of times, you know, people get behind you if they understand why they're doing what they're doing. So give the why and articulate the vision often. I mean, when you think of the people you trust, how do they earn your trust? Well, I'm one of those people, I may not make you actually earn my trust. I'll give you my trust until you prove me otherwise. You know, I assume good intentions in people. Uh, I think about the relationship I want to have with persons. So maybe I'm a little too free with just giving trust out there, but I think they they build on that by executing and by following through on items. Yeah, I mean, what makes you somebody that other people, somebody whom other people trust? I think people know they can come to me. I, I keep items in my role. This is very important. Keep them confidential, and they can trust me with serious, serious items, as well as once they talk to me about something or if they need action on something, that I'll follow through and get it done. They don't have to keep coming back to me and asking over and over for status. And if there's a delay. I'll let them know that as well so they have an updated expectation from me. I don't just leave people hanging. I mean, what happens when uh, you operate in a world like everyone else with limited resources and too much to do, not enough time? How, how do you make those difficult decisions? And, and how do you teach other people to make those decisions? I think you've got to have some basic organization, Bruce. For me personally, I have a notebook. I have it right here on my desk. And every day I start off and I make a list of what I need to do that day. And sometimes the priorities shift, but I know what I need to work on and get done. And along those same lines, I will, let's say I need to focus on something. I may turn off my, my email or my phone for a few hours and then call people back or respond to emails before lunch, let's say. So I have that focus time to make sure I'm getting things done because there's so many distractions. E email is a huge distraction for me. So that's the way I kind of deal with that. But I start every day planning it out with my list and then work through it. What about integrity? I mean, what, what role does that play in creating relationships of trust? Well, especially for, any, for anyone, but especially those in leadership, you really have to be a role model. You know, you can't say one thing and be doing another. Uh, that erodes your integrity. So your behavior has to be a beyond reproach. And again, you're doing what you say you're going to do. People see that you walk the walk, so to speak. So I know that um, continuous learning is part of your strategy. Um, tell me about your philosophy of continuous learning. I think continuous learning, you have to do that or you're getting behind. So on a personal basis, uh, I think it's really important to be learning every day, focusing on being the best in your position, or if you're ready to look at advancement or your next role, that you're preparing for that. 
so that you're always trying to be better. And on an organizational basis, for example, too, I think it's important to have like an after action review, I would term it. I had a meeting just earlier this week. We had our COVID action plan. So we've made a lot of changes, like a lot of companies had to do quickly and communicate those out. And so now that we've been doing that a few months, had a bit of an after action review to determine what do we learn? What do we do well? What can we improve on? And I think it's important to reflect on any project after the fact to see how it can be done better. Yeah, that's a practice uh, that's common in the military. And I think more and more we're seeing that in the business sector as well. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. So I know that uh, one uh, point you have emphasized uh, is the importance of finding an advocate who can help make you better and more rounded and, and also being an advocate for other people. Maybe you could talk a little bit about the role that advocacy plays in mm-hmm. becoming a person of influence. Uh, I'll tell you, when I started off, when I was young, my dad was a public servant. I went into public service at, uh, at local government. And I learned pretty quickly, it's important to have somebody who is on your side to help advocate for you, especially as a new person that people don't know very well, to have someone on your side who helps kind of promote you, get you experiences, wants to help train you, shine you in your best light. Uh, And that allowed me to move up through that organization. And I left there. I got another great advocate at my next organization who really helped me and was on my side, helped me get the buy-in with others as I kind of earned their trust. And I've worked four places total in my life, but the third place I went, I didn't have that advocate. And it was just not a place I stayed very long. So the place I'm in now, I've got more than one, which is a great feeling, but to reach out to someone to be able to bounce questions off of who can kind of help you troubleshoot through problems has helped me. And now I can pay that forward, right? So for example, I'll meet with different employees on a regular basis and they'll bring to me questions. They feel like I'm approachable and, and how do I learn this skill or I have this problem or whatever it is. And we'll, we'll kind of go through that to be like a partner to help them and shine them in the right light, get them the right experience, maybe that they're lacking, that kind of thing. So uh, I think it is important to, to be an advocate and, and to have one as well in your work career. First, let me ask you, how, how, do, you, how do you do that? How, if, if, if you're talking to somebody right now and saying, hey, look, you need to find an advocate for yourself. How do you do that? How I've approached that, and when I was younger, one way I approached that was I would do a little bit of research, see if there's somebody that I thought was maybe had an interesting career or background or something I could learn from them and just approach them and say, you know, do you have time? Could I take you to lunch? Usually they'd end up taking me to lunch (laughs) and uh, start to talk to them and they'd get to know me and I'd get to know them and I could learn from them. So uh, just making yourself available, showing an interest in them. And don't be afraid to ask. Yeah. And, and, and so when, um, when somebody takes the bait and they're willing to build that relationship with you and be a sounding board for you and uh, then maybe be an advocate for you, describe what does that do in your heart and mind in relation to that person? What, how does that make you feel about that person? Yeah, well, it certainly makes me feel really good about that person, builds my trust with them. Uh, and makes me feel very valued. Uh, Like I would try to make others feel valued as well. So I want to do really good for that person when that's the case. And if it's like my boss, if you're lucky to have your boss be your advocate, uh, Mm -hmm. I want to work really hard to make him look good 
and to do what he needs me to do so that we can continue that relationship. And, and then there's something about that dynamic that builds a, a, a connection. It definitely builds a connection and it can open doors that you wouldn't have ever expected. Uh, you know, maybe they introduce you to someone else who has some experience or could hire you or, or you just don't know. So building relationships is a big part of that and not being afraid to try something new as well. So don't just stay in your comfort zone all the time. Yes, yeah, say more about that. Uh, uh, one of the things you, um, I know, have emphasized is the importance of being willing to take a risk, step outside your comfort zone. Uh, yeah, I'll give you an example. I mean, it's for me anyway, it's a scary prospect to change jobs. Some people do it easily. Uh, for me, I put a lot of thought into that and I really weigh those risks. You know, you're comfortable usually where you're at. You have the established relationships and you have the established way to your work. And to walk into something new is hard. And for me, I'll, I'll give you an example in the role I'm in now. Um, I walked in, I, this was a new position for the company, and I walked into uh, a group of men who I was the first female executive they'd had on the team. And it was kind of daunting a little bit, but uh, it was a great team of people and we work really well together and we built great relationships through partnering together. So what was that like? Uh, were, were you worried that as the only woman on the executive team, maybe um, you would have to do something extra to prove yourself? I would say that walking into that, it, it was important to me. I mean, certainly you have to prove yourself when you're unknown. I came into this industry, the farming industry. Um, I have some farming in my background, but I've, I've never worked in it. I didn't really know that much about it. So, you know, people are like, you're coming from a different industry. I know my own HR stuff very well, but I approach that kind of as let's, let's be partners here. A lot of people have the perception maybe that HR is, is the rules and it's, HR is no fun and shoot, HR is really fun. Um, and so kind of getting the team on board and showing how it's a true partner and how it can help them out uh, worked out well. And uh, so what was daunting about it? You described it as daunting. What, what was daunting? I think walking into that, you know, having to learn the new personalities in a new industry at the first, that, that felt like a lot. But then getting to know the team really helped. And what was a little daunting, too, is for all that were similar, we have a lot of similar personality traits I've learned, which is a lot of fun. But uh, learning kind of how to banter back and forth a little bit. Uh, they changed, they would change that in front of me. Like they felt like they couldn't joke as much or something. So to get them to be comfortable with me, but still obviously in a professional environment, uh, we just had to get to know each other. Yeah. How, how much of um, the sort of relationships at work in your experience, how much of it is about personal rapport or kind of interpersonal politics and, and, and how much of it comes down to, being able to rely on each other to say what you're going to do, do what you say, and how much of it is personal, how much of it is work? I'd say for the most part, the most of it is work. I mean, but you have to be able to work together and be able to work together with different personalities. That's really imperative. So uh, to find out and to take the time to get to know people has been really helpful to me. You know, it's not all just work. I, I want to get to know people a little bit as much as they allow me as far as, you know, do they have a family, that kind of thing. And so we can know each other on a little bit of a personal level because that builds rapport. But really for the business side to execute and get follow through and get tasks done and, and people can come by, feel free to talk and can talk freely, don't have to 
trying to think of the right word. They don't have to change what they want to say. They can just be straight up uh, is really good. Yeah. And there's a certain level of like interpersonal trust that is necessary to feel like uh, you can just say what you want to say. Exactly. And it, it takes a little bit of courage, right? To be able to talk to somebody about something that's maybe a little awkward, that kind of thing. And so to have the trust in that person and to be able to talk through things, even if you disagree, I've had several examples of that, but to be able to kind of talk through, to come to a common decision and that one that everyone can support and you base that on the vision so that we're all going the same direction. I mean, in, in an environment uh, like you're working where, um, what's, what are some of the biggest challenges you're facing? Oh, some of the biggest challenges we have right now, I would say in the farming industry in particular, there is a lot of consolidation going on. And so always looking at mergers and acquisitions and keeping an eye on the future because otherwise you get left behind. So that, that takes a lot of work and is a, is a big challenge, certainly that we face every day, uh, as well as the standards that we face for uh, the quality of food and tracking food and making sure we can ship it and making money for our, our member owners all factor into play. So you got to be a profitable, well-run business. I mean, also sort of interpersonally, like what do you think gets in the way day to day of uh, being able to uh, rely on each other, being able to get things done for each other? What do you think are the biggest obstacles that get in people's way day to day? I would say with individuals, a lot of times people come to work, everybody has their own perspectives, you know, how they were raised, things that happen at home. Uh, so we all have different points of view. And so to sometimes set those aside can be difficult. And to make sure that we are looking at all points of view, it's not about who wins the discussion, it's who has the best idea, really has to be the focus. And um I mean, of course, uh, I know you can't reveal uh, any uh, uh, confidential matters of employees who come to you, uh, but you and your team are keeping your finger on the pulse of a very diverse set of employees, right? People who are uh, doing a wide range of tasks, uh, people who are supporting farmers in the supply chain. How are people doing right now? Well, I think people are doing pretty well. It's, it's a stressful time all things considered. However, I'll give you an example that really helps us get through is I've mentioned the shared vision we all have. Yeah. And the other day I had an employee and she had her son get seriously injured in a hunting accident. And because of the whole company's shared vision and a, our attitude of teamwork and helping one another, uh, she was, she had a time sensitive project that had to get done and she had to go deal with her son. And because the whole team knows the vision and where we're going and is a great team support, we were able to get that done through others and didn't miss a beat. Yeah. And I mean, somebody like that employee you're describing, that must have a tremendous effect on her appreciation for her colleagues and for the organization. Absolutely. I mean, this is, this is a great place to work and the employees really look out for each other that everyone is very supportive. It's a, it's a lot of fun. And that, that all is helpful because we hire based on attitude. And so we've got people with great attitude who want to help and do the right thing. And it works out well for us. Yeah, say more about that. How do you hire for attitude? I mean, attitude is that thing, right? That everybody knows is important, but it's so hard to uh, monitor, measure, document. It's so hard to manage. 
help us understand that. How do you, how do you do that? How do you hire for attitude? You know, a little bit of that is just being able to recognize talents. You know, how do they make you feel? Are they engaging? Are they positive? Do they have a, a positive outlook on life? Because we, we look at, we want to hire someone. We can add the skills later, but if we have the right personality, the right positive attitude, we can train. So it's, so part of what you look for is um, positivity. Part of what you look for is how they make other people feel. Uh, what are the other cues of how do you, one way to think about it is how do you read the attitude of others, but uh, maybe for people listening to this podcast, how does somebody know themselves what attitude they're projecting? And uh, is attitude something you can, you can fix? Sometimes you can fix it, but I think for the most part, people who have that positive outlook, that can-do attitude, they're the ones who are jumping in to do tasks. And when we talk to people, like in the interview process, for example, they will give us examples of things that they've done in their past, uh, how they're continuous learners, how they have executed on tasks, uh, how they've helped others. People who have that kind of servant's heart a lot of times do well in this industry because they're thinking of others and how they do their work, not just what is this going to get me? How am I going to get ahead? But how am I going to affect others? And that makes them successful. Yeah, there's something peculiar about uh, when you, you use the term a servant's heart. I love that. And I'd love to hear more about that. When you think about others, when you're other oriented and generous, even though um, it requires an other oriented mind, that's how you bring the best out in other people, but that's how you make others want to do things for you. Say more about that. What do you mean uh, by a servant's heart? A little bit in that like attracts like, right? So people who want to help others, people who want to do the right thing, uh, who are looking out for others, supportive of others, empower others. Yeah, even when nobody's looking, I think it's so important to make sure that you're just beyond reproach. I try to look at things through a lens of what's the right thing to do, what's the best solution that I can get to you know, help an employee, but also help the organization. And that comes up a lot. For example, uh, the other day we had an employee who needed to go to Mexico to take care of an ailing family member. And this is our busy time of year, right, with harvest, knowing that when he comes back because of the quarantine rules in Kansas, he's going to have to quarantine for two weeks. So trying to balance, okay, do we want to have that relationship with this employee going forward? Or do we want to just say, no, you can't go right now. So to balance out, what's the right thing to do there? You know, is it an important thing to go down there for this? Is it something that can be put off till later? Uh, trying to look for that win-win. Yeah. So that's an example of where you have, have competing interests and it's not always 100% clear what the right thing is to do. I found, I've generally found that if you err on the side of compassion and helping your employees within reason, of course, that you're, it's, it's usually a win. Yeah. So I take it that was the way you uh, made that decision. Yes. Yeah. We, we do really good to take care of our employees here. We use an employee referral program. I know a lot of people do that, but we get a lot of our hires from that. And I think it's because people enjoy working here because they know we take care of them. We do lots of things for our employees throughout the year and we will we just we look out for them and we take care of them and they, they take care of us in return. Do you think that that also causes people to take care of each other more at work? Yeah, I think it, and this sounds kind of old fashioned, but like the family environment, there's pros and cons of that, right? But for the most part, a professional family environment, uh, 
is how we operate and that has worked well for us. You know, people, the customers, it's, we have relationships with them. Uh, the coworkers have relationships with each other in a professional manner and it, it makes it a, a good place to work. They're not and, competing against each other, right? Right. And it's, it's um, at least they're part of the same human family. Exactly. You know, most people, uh, they're, they've got so much to do, they don't have enough time. Sometimes those situations can become uh, almost overwhelming. How do you deal with that? And, and, and what's your advice to others when it comes to that sort of daily struggle? Yeah, I think having good organization is key, whether you do that in a notebook or what. I, I have a notebook that I use every day as well as a software that I can communicate with others the status of projects. But, you know, in the past, if I've gotten overwhelmed and everybody gets there sometimes, uh, I will go and visit with my supervisor and say, I've got all these. I need some help prioritizing them and then have them go through to make sure I'm prioritizing them right. I don't ask them to prioritize with me. I give them what I think and make sure they're in alignment with what the vision is and, and the goals are that the supervisor has for me. And then if something falls to the bottom of the list that impacts others, I let them know that and give them you know, a, a time frame or an update of when they can expect whatever it is from me so that that continues to build and maintain that relationship with others. So uh, sometimes you gotta ask for help. Sometimes you gotta say no. Uh, but if you have to say no, Bruce, I would say people think you have to say yes to advance your career. And that's not the case. You have to know your boundaries. So if you have to say no, I would be prepared to give some other options to the person so they're not just left in the cold. And that also helps maintain that relationship with the person so that you're, you're helping them out even if you can't say yes. I mean, you're at a level where you report to the CEO. What do you do if, if, if you go for help and, and the answer is just do everything, just, just be superhuman? If I have to be superhuman, then I'm going to look for options I have. I mean, there's always options, right? So you prioritize your work and that can be asking others for help. And if you've helped them in the past and build a relationship with them, that'll generally get it for you, uh, as well as, again, prioritizing that work. So you can't do everything. I think sometimes you've got to explain the why. You know, if you just absolutely can't do everything and you've got so much on your plate, explain why and you have a good relationship with someone and they'll help you with it. If, if you could give yourself a piece of advice, uh, if you could go back um, knowing what you know now, what would you say? Hmm. I'd probably tell my young self to not be afraid to take a risk and to get out there to do as many things as I can, get as much experience as I can, uh, to not just stay in my little comfort zone. And the sooner you can do those kind of things, the better. I got there eventually. It, it would have been good if I could have done it even sooner. I'd probably also tell my young self to make sure I built relationships. Those are really important. Uh, don't burn bridges. So what do you do if you have conflict with somebody? How do you resolve that without burning the bridge? Conflict is pretty natural. And a lot of times it, again, comes from people having different perspectives. So to sit down and kind of talk it out and explain explain the why of why how you're looking at this L listen stop don't argue and listen to where they're coming from and see if you can come to generally you can come to some kind of resolution that way because it's not always my way or your way sometimes there's the middle ground uh, sometimes you got to give a little bit too so being a good listener and having a helpful mindset with others and knowing your own boundaries Anne anderton warren Thank you so much for being a guest on The Indispensables. Thank you for the work you do. And uh, I'll tell everyone, uh, when you're uh, making your toast, uh, you can thank Anne and her colleagues. 
Well, thanks, Bruce. It's been a real pleasure, and I'm honored to be here. So thanks so much. Thank you so much. In our next episode, I'll be speaking with my friend and client, Ryan Mayotte, who is Director of Sales Capability for CDW, a leading provider of technology, services, and products. If you like this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review. Any little bit helps to drive us up the charts. You can also follow us on Twitter at goto underscore podcast. That's at goto underscore podcast. You can learn more about goto-ism and the techniques which make indispensable people stand out in their jobs and careers and lives in my new book, The Art of Being Indispensable at Work, available now from Harvard Business Review Press, available wherever books are sold. If you're interested in bulk orders, please check the show notes for more information. And finally, you can learn more about our work at Rainmaker Thinking by visiting us at rainmakerthinking.com, by following me on Twitter, at Bruce Tulgan, or find me on LinkedIn and Facebook at the links in the show notes. Until next time, stay strong and be indispensable at work.